Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast, brought to you by New Balance of Edmond, featuring Keegan Renault from SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Today, and Brady Trantham. Hello, Brady. Bob Stoops here. Appreciate the great Sooner fan that you are and have been for all these years. Boomer Sooner. If Michigan plays football, does anybody actually know that it's occurring? I mean, I guess, since they're the winningest football program of all time, allegedly. I mean, they got the vast majority of those when it was truly a pigskin. Yes. They've won a national title since I've, since I'm assuming, when were you born? 96. Okay. So they've won a national championship. They shared one, I believe the last non BCS or the last year before the BCS. If I'm, I might not be correct. I think they shared it with either Nebraska or Tennessee. I think it was Nebraska. 97 Brian Greasy. So they've won a national title since we've been alive, but they are it's weird. I view them like I view Nebraska now, but Michigan has had a little bit more recent success than Nebraska, but they're just both they're northern teams that will be ranked at the beginning of the year. Michigan is typically a little bit ranked higher than Nebraska. And it's I always ask myself why? Why are they ranked? We we know what's going to happen, and it always happens, especially under Jim Harbaugh. They're they're just they're not good. And they have good talent, Keegan. They, they've got one player that I frankly wish chose to stay home instead of go up to Michigan, but that's a different story. They, they're just never good. And I think Michigan is, I think you can probably tack them on as probably a school that can get back to success more than Nebraska, but they're in the same boat to me. I just don't care about them ever. I, I know they're historical, but I don't care about either school anymore. So Michigan has won one Rose Bowl since 1995. It's not good. They they played in about I mean they played in I'm assuming they won the Rose Bowl when they shared the national title in 97. They played in a Rose Bowl against Vince Young and lost in 2004. They played in a Rose Bowl against USC the year that everybody was clamoring for a rematch in 06 and I think USC uh, kicked the dog shit out of them. And, but they, and then they, they haven't played in a Rose Bowl game since 2006. Under They won a Sugar Bowl under Brady Hoke in 2011. And then, oh, since yeah. then they have yet to win a Rose Bowl or New Year's Six Bowl. They've been to the Orange Bowl and the Peach Bowl, and they have lost both under Jim Harbaugh. And again, they have good talent. I mean, is it, is it something as simple as the offense is so unimaginative? And I think it has roots in the whole, we got to hire a Michigan man. And if you want to hire a Michigan man, then fine. But I'm going to assume that unless that Michigan man was born at least after 1985, um, you're not going to get a lot of imaginative offense unless that Michigan man, whoever it may be, just goes out of his way to hire somebody to call plays in an imaginative way. Like the offense just does nothing for me and they've got talent. And I know they had that Ole Miss transferred like the last two years before this year. And I didn't ever think that much of him at Ole Miss. I thought it would be an upgrade at Michigan, but there's just no innovation to their offense and it just wastes whatever talent goes there. And I'm still dumbfounded when Michigan still can recruit at a high level, especially skill position guys. I'm like, why don't you just go to Ohio state? Why don't you go to Penn State? There's a better track record for NFL players out of Penn State, or at least an art like you can make the argument compared to Michigan. Then, of course, 
players that are from, you know, the South or from Oklahoma or from Texas, why are you going to Michigan? Why? It's a good point. It's a good question. And like you said, Ohio State's coming down to the state of Texas and just raking shop now about every other year. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's Michigan, man. It, it, we'll see what – I mean, like, like Jim Harbaugh was a good hire because he was going to come in and elevate the base floor of that program in terms of recruiting. Yeah. But now, like, you have the talent. It's just not going anywhere. So – like, and I've got a buddy who's a diehard San Francisco 49ers fan. And um, he liked Jim Harbaugh when he was a 49ers head coach. And of course he took the 49ers to a Super Bowl. They lost to the Ravens. And he usually, when we get in this argument, he will always bring up, man, he, he brought the 49ers to the Super Bowl and they hadn't done anything since, uh, I mean, Jeff Garcia, the days of Jeff Garcia. And then even before that, when Steve Young retired. So it's been a long time for them, but I just keep, I kept bringing it up to him. That team was built by the previous staffs. Now, you got to give him credit that he was able to take that talent and turn it into something positive. He's had the talent at Michigan. He's not been able to turn it into anything. They had that one year where they were undefeated and they lost to Iowa. And then they got their ass kicked by Ohio State. There was that one year where that was a very fortuitous spot for Ohio State. That probably should have led to Michigan getting their first victory over Ohio State in a long time. But that's not what happened. And you're left with a coach in Jim Harbaugh, who I agree, it was a good hire. It was a step up. It raised the floor. It brought a lot of hype and momentum to the program. But I always just thought of him as kind of an overrated coach. And my whole thing was, is he going to do anything innovative offensively? I don't think so because he's old school, traditional football coach guy. I wear the khakis. I'm a Michigan man. It's just going to work. And I'm sorry, that ain't going to cut it. It's like when OU tried to still run the wishbone in the early 90s because that's their that's their thing, right? And it was very apparent that the game's changing. If you want to be good, you've got to change with it. Unfortunately, it took OU so long to get back to where they were. But um, this has been your Michigan talk. And this has been Ohio, your... Wait, wait, real quick. Ohio State has beaten Michigan every single time they've played since 2003. Yeah, it ain't good. Ohio State since 2000 has lost to Michigan three times. Imagine that being the OU Texas stat. And we have to get drilled into our heads every time this game is coming up, that it's the best rivalry in sport in college football, that it's the biggest rivalry in college football. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> well, no. And this is a take, I guess, but I don't know. I always feel this way after the game is played probably less than beforehand, but I feel like army Navy is the best rivalry in football, Brittany. Uh, I mean, that game we on can, Saturday was poetic. We can get we can get into that conversation if you want. Um, I mean, why not? I mean, it's not like there's anything important happening this weekend with Oklahoma, but uh, Army Navy. It's going to be hard to debate against that just because of what it stands for and the pageantry of the game um, and how it's and actually how it's played. Like it's appealing to me when you watch teams run the option. Still, I mean, yeah, it's not big-time blue-blood programs trying to get five-star talent. They're not going to be running the wishbone or the triple option, but every once in a while when you watch a team do it and do it at a high level, it is very fun. It's a fun offense to watch. You see two teams do that against each other. It's kind of fun, and uh, I'll be honest. Maybe I'm a bad football fan, King, and I didn't watch the Army-Navy game on Saturday. I don't. I can't even remember what I was doing uh, on Saturday. 
the setting was perfect. It was foggy. It was at Mitchie Stadium or Mickey Mitchie. Uh, Did anybody I, throw a shoe if it was a foggy game? No, no one threw a shoe in this one. No. Who throws um, a shoe? Honestly. That it's a great question. Um, no, they again. They it was. It's just the pageantry, and I think that's what like in the fact that, like you said, it's two triple option teams. I don't know. Maybe just the traditionalist in me that loves the pure part of a sport. There's yeah. Army Navy is with is holding years and years and years of offensive and defensive philosophy and as well as playing a really, really cool game. Like it's the only game that you watched from the beginning to the end. And then you kind of watch the credits. It's the only movie you watch the credits. You watch the, 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 the fight songs and everything. Oh yeah. That's really cool. But Brady, it's a big Twelve championship. Yes, it is. Another date with Iowa state. Uh, it seems like this game will be played. <laughs> um, OU released their COVID-19 numbers yesterday and they were incredibly promising they're going down 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 baby your street and a range rove and all that stuff but it wasn't really OU's problem anyway last week with the West Virginia game that was more that was 100% West Virginia so as long as Iowa State you know is doing their part this game will be played between the Cyclones and the Sooners and right off the bat I guess the big quote from Lincoln Riley's press conference was just mainly about Iowa State that this isn't you know, this isn't a Rudy situation. And I mean, it's true. I mean, we know Iowa State's good, Keegan. We knew that going into that game in Ames. I, I, I think I predicted OU to win that game going into it just because OU doesn't lose two games in a row, especially in conference. And um, even having said that, I knew it was going to be tough. I can't remember how you felt going into the game, but Iowa State's not a team that I think is just lucky to be here. They've certainly earned it, and they have more than a chance to beat Oklahoma. But having said that, if Iowa State beats OU, everybody paying attention will be shocked. It'll be like the uh, Boise State game in 06. Like, I'm not saying this in terms of, like, just, you know, Boise State's from the Mountain West or whatever conference they were in at the time and um, this and that, but it would have that sort of shock. It's like Iowa State can win a Big 12. Iowa State can dethrone Oklahoma. And that's a big deal. And it's, it's a huge game on Saturday. And I think the biggest thing that I remember thinking about the first time around Brady, and you may remember here, me saying this, was that the problems that happened in the Kansas State game were the schematic issues. It wasn't playing hard. It wasn't tackling. It wasn't a lot of things that has hurt Oklahoma in the past years under the Mike Stoops regime. But it was different things and things yeah. that can be corrected in a week. And then the tackling showed up, the bad tackling showed up in Ames. And so with all that being said, it's, it's a huge game. Um, you heard Lincoln kind of talk about it in the press conference today. Um, you know, it is a little weird to think about from their perspective, though. Like, this is a huge game for them, but it's something along the lines of something that you would probably want to hear and fans would want to hear is that Lincoln's like, you know, we, we yeah, do we, do we enjoy this? Yes. Is it our main goal? No. Yeah, and I guess depending on how you want to interpret that, if you want to be super paranoid OU fan, well, wait, are they not going to be pumped up to play this game for that reason? Because there's really only an outside slim chance at the playoff at this point. Um, I guess in the other Big 12 championships, there was always more than an outside slim chance. It was basically, from what I can remember, if OU just wins this game, they're in the playoff. Even I though think last year was the LSU situation, 
like if LSU would have lost in the SEC championship game, there was a chance that Oklahoma could have been left out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the whole idea that two teams from the same conference going into the playoff, I mean, that's something that's always talked about, but I feel like once championship weekend comes and goes, and then we're waiting for the playoff rankings, I feel like everything that the committee has said prior to championship weekend being played really doesn't matter because they just put so much stock into conference champions. And I understand there, there was that one time where Alabama went in having not played in their conference title. We talked about that a few pods ago, Keegan. There's always that outside chance, but a power five conference champions hard to sneeze at, of course, unless they have two losses like an Oklahoma would like an Iowa state would. So that's just a different story for a different time. But uh, I guess with this game, Keegan, the whole big question, and I can't remember who actually asked it might've been Eric Bailey, but the whole big question is, is Oklahoma going to be better defensively against what Iowa state wants to do? Because it's no secret what they want to do. They want to hand the ball off to Brees Hall he rushed for over 100 yards against Oklahoma uh, in early October when these two teams played against each other. And um, you brought it up, the poor tackling. A lot of his runs were at the result of him breaking tackles and Oklahoma just straight up missing tackles. You're going to miss tackles. That, that's going to happen in a football game. You just don't want it to happen consistently and on crucial downs like it happened in Ames. So that's going to be a factor. And then how does the secondary play against Charlie Kolar and the Iowa State uh, pass catchers when a captain after that game, Keegan, if you remember, said, well, it's kind of hard when you're small to go up against guys that are taller than you. I'm still mad and still upset. <laughs> uh, Patrick Fields said that. I'm yeah. St I'm still mad that a captain said that. Um, OU has since played players that are bigger than their nickelback or their safety or their cornerbacks. And it hasn't really bit them in the ass since then. So Lincoln Riley said that the team's gotten better and they certainly have, but it really comes down to those two things. Can they tackle consistently and can they play well in coverage? I think those two things are obviously whenever you're talking about Oklahoma's defense are the most important and they, it, it's going to be, different like this just the aspect of Oklahoma struggled so much with it in the first game it's almost as if they don't you know you can't do it as bad as they did in the second game if that makes sense like they can't have the kind of coverage issues I guess they can but in theory they can but it was only going up from the performance they had in Ames and all we've seen since then defensively from Oklahoma Brady is that this is a group that is going to strain to the football. They say it all the time. They're going to fly to the football. They're going to do all the things you want an elite defense to do. They're going to get after the quarterback. They're going to do those things. And that has tended to be a problem for Iowa State. So it's an interesting dilemma, kind of looking at this game and projecting it. And I'm, I'll have a better idea on Thursday once I'm through. Um, I'll be getting through Baylor, Texas, in Kansas State. I'm not going to do the West Virginia game. Would you even want to see the West Virginia game, Brady? No, West Virginia is just a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 team, and they were playing... I don't know how many key players they were out, but I remember hearing that they had quite a few players miss that game due to COVID, and that was, of course, kind of the lead-up to the Oklahoma game that ultimately got canceled. So I don't know where their motivation was. I don't know what they were, like, strength-wise in terms of manpower... Uh, and they're also just not very, a very good football team anyway. And Iowa State is, you know, a very good football team. It doesn't really shock me what happened. Yeah. So 
and, they, they, and I think to that point, and it's something that's important to talk about, that Iowa State is playing better. Like, I don't want to discredit that before we're going into any thoughts about the Big 12 championship game. They are playing better. Brock Purdy is playing better. Their defense is more sound. They're not having as many receivers run loose, which was a big talking point heading into the first game, if you remember, was that TCU had receivers running open against Iowa State. And that was a big problem. And Oklahoma had success. Like, oh, Spencer Rattles is one of the best games he's played this year. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, Iowa State's playing better. Um, We'll get into that as the week progresses. But – yeah, this is, you know, on, on the – when you open this game up and you look at it, it is just – and I've, I've said this to you, maybe I've done it, you know, already, but I feel this way that I just don't – it is hard for me to see a pathway to Iowa State winning this game, Brady. It is tough. I mean, I certainly can. The first one, and this is something that you're going to hate, this is something that fans think about, but the first way, the first path Iowa State can win this game is is if it is just their year. This is their magical once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-generation year where everything goes their way. And yes, they lost to Louisiana, and yes, they lost to Oklahoma State, but they beat OU in October. Everything went their way. Patrick Fields dropped two gimme interceptions. I think Buki may have had an opportunity in the end zone to pick a ball off, but he's five foot eight and couldn't jump that high. Oklahoma had so many missed tackles, so many dumb penalties that we've talked about at nauseum that had nothing to do with the play that kept Iowa State alive. And then they also had to have a kickoff return go down to the goal line and other lucky breaks sprinkled throughout the game, mainly from OU's just shooting themselves in the foot with Theo East dropping a touchdown pass with Obi Obiallo dropping a touchdown pass and then barely putting his foot out of bounds on a third on another one. I mean, so many things had to go against Oklahoma for Iowa State to barely win at home, but that still happened. And that's just the fear is this is just Iowa State's year. And Oklahoma, while the more talented team, I mean, Spencer Rattler, you're, you hit the nail on the head. That was probably one of his better games was the game in Iowa State. But all the questions that I've heard from people talking about this game are, can Brock Purdy handle the pressure of playing in a game like this? And that, that's a fair question. We'll get to that in a, in a little bit. But I think that that question can be asked for Spencer Rattler because this is a guy who can make all the throws. But when pressure starts to mount, we see him look off from easy gimme throws to keep keep the sticks moving because he wants to go deep. And I think that's my biggest fear. I think the defense is going to play well. I think having Ramondre is going to help out a ton. The offensive line, I'm assuming, is going to have a better performance than they did against Baylor. The big question is, is Spencer Rattler going to let the game come to him uh, take care of business and then take his shots deep when he want, when he can, when the team can allow it. So that's me is my biggest fear. And, it should, and I think that's a very fair fear to have heading into this game. Cause, cause we know with Iowa state Brady, like they're going to do things from a coverage perspective and from a terms of alignment and this and that, whatever, um, they're going to do things defensively that are going to try to mess with Spencer Rattler. They're going to try to mess with his head. They're going to try to get a bunch of guys on the line of scrimmage and then drop them off and try to dis- and try to confuse them. Um, Iowa State's going to do all those things. And Iowa State did it a little bit the first time around. So it's – yeah, I think that that is a – that should be a concern. He handled it well, even with on a week's notice. He handled it well in Ames the first time around. So I know he's built up for it. But to what you're saying about playing in a big game, and, like, this isn't a conversation about, like, what I think about Spencer Rattler and the differences or this or that. This is more of a, 
like whenever you look at it and you look at the big games that Spencer Rattlers need to play well in this year, Texas, Bedlam, and the Big 12 Championship. In the first two games, he didn't play that great. Like from an overall from, from an overall perspective, including Bedlam, where I know his numbers looked really, really good. This is a guy that I didn't think played great. So he's going to have to play well this week. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If Oklahoma wants to have success offensively, he's going to have to play at a high level. Everybody's going to. They cannot do what they've done offensively for really the last seven quarters if they want to be able to win a Big 12 championship. They're just not going to be able to. Iowa State will get enough stops. They'll force a turnover or two. Um, and I think it's, it's a very fair uh, thing. And I want to touch on something you just said. There's been a lot of talk about the pressure Brock Purdy's on. I'm interested to see, like, if Brock Purdy plays well in this game, Brady, he probably can leave early, maybe go to the NFL. I think there's a lot hint riding on this game for him because he hasn't been that great this year from a court NFL quarterback prospect perspective. Yeah. Um, like, there's a lot hanging on this game. And then whenever – I know Lincoln said it's hard to take away a lot what happened in the first game, but the one thing – and you and I have touched on this now for two weeks – was that he was facing a ton of pressure. Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas got after Iowa State's offensive line that first time around. And this is a group, Texas, whenever you go look at the pressure numbers that Iowa State gave up, had a, they got after him as well. So um, that's something that's going to be on the table this week, and he's going to have to deal with that from his side of things. And then the times that Iowa State attacks Oklahoma, which – I think that's another thing, too, when you go back to the first game that stuck out, was that when Iowa State blitzed, they got home. When Iowa State, they timed everything that they timed up, it seemed like, for the most part, worked from a defensive perspective. So when that happens, and the pocket's collapsing, and this and that, and Switzer Rattler cannot force throws this week. It's too good of a defense. It's too good of a secondary um, to do those things. So both sides facing pressure um, from the quarterback perspective is going to be massive in this game. Massive. Yeah, and before people get super mad at us for what we said about Spencer Rattler in terms of the two biggest games he's played this year, and in our opinions, he didn't play that well. Look, I re totally recognize that Spencer Rattler played winning football and gave me all the Oklahoma Sooner football boners that I could possibly have in the second half against Texas, and then especially in overtime. That was winning five-star football right there. And, I mean, yeah, the thing about QB wanted OU in a performance like Bedlam, like there is such a standard and the numbers look great. The performance overall looked great. The final score looks great. So you think, okay, Spencer Rattler had an awesome game, but there are problems that happen in that game that will rear their ugly heads at different points for other bigger games. And the hope is that he learns from those. Now, the simple things like hitting those underneath routes that are always open, they're always there. He is yet to really consistently show that he watches film and learns from that because he just simply hasn't trusted those receivers on those routes. He's always wanted to go deep and I get it. Go for the kill shot always, but in big games, when every yard matters, you know, you just sometimes you got to take what the defense is given to you. And if Iowa state's going to do something like that, which I'm assuming, and they're also going to probably do something what you hinted at earlier in terms of their uh, delayed timing blitzes, because that's what Baylor had a lot of success with. He's going to know that that's going to come. And when that comes, just dump it off right over their heads and they'll stop and they'll back off. And then you can just do whatever the hell you want from that point on. Um, and I guess with Brock Purdy, yeah, you're exactly right. This is absolutely make or break for him in terms of we hear a lot about you. We hear a lot about your NFL potential. And every time people seem to pay attention, he has a clunker of a game. 
Yeah. So this is basically it. If, if you want to have, he's going to have an NFL future. He's going to get picked up. But if you want to get drafted in the first two, three rounds, maybe you got to have a big game against Oklahoma. So the big, the big thing is, does Oklahoma's defense understand that? Do they know that? And I'm, I'm certain they will. And will that inspire them to just basically go kick his ass? It may. It's a group that has kind of done that before. I mean, Nick Benito tweeted after the Oklahoma State game, which he probably loved, is, man, y'all gassed up 30. Good Lord. That was brutal. Um, so they take it. I mean, this defense plays with a chip on their shoulder like that. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they did. Um, you know, it's, it's just a weird, like, matchup. Because, like, again, like, you try it with Oklahoma without playing last week and the last time was seeing them struggling at times against a Baylor team that's not very good. It does create a little bit of suspense from my part. Just, like, I don't know how – Good. Like, I think Oklahoma's elite now. Like, I think that they're a very good football team, probably top five, top six, seven team in the country. But I'm not 100% sure. And that holds me pause back a little bit um, because you come into this Iowa State game and they're playing so well the last three, four weeks. But people forget, like, I mean, Texas isn't very good. I know they took Oklahoma to overtime, but Oklahoma dominated that game for the first – 50, 50, 55. Yes, it, it's well documented why we both think that game went into overtime in the first place. So, yeah, Oklahoma dominate, dominated that game that should have been in regulation. And Iowa State, you know, going on the road is tough. Even though there are no, you know, it's not full capacity stadium, it's still tough. And getting road wins still means a lot to me. So, Iowa State winning on the road, albeit by the skin of their teeth against Texas, which is an average football team, is still very good. Because it, still it, coached it, by Tom Herman, by the way. Sorry to cut you. <laughs> well, we I, I wanted to end with that actually. So let's, <laughs> okay, let's table I'll, the Tom I'll, Herman I'll, talk for the end. But um, uh, try to remind me because I might forget knowing my brain. But um, look, Iowa State when they're playing a school like Texas as a program, and I, I'm speaking purely as somebody who played football, albeit at a very low level, <laughs> when I was in high school. But when you play the school that has all the success and you're the smaller school, even though you know that, hey, we're just as talented and we've got a chance, um, you still kind of go into that game thinking, man, this is this is a big, this is a much bigger stage. And it kind of psychs you out a little bit. Uh, fortunately, in that example, my football team was able to win against the rich private school in Idaho when I played football up there. Uh, I always think that that somewhat plays an element of games like what we saw against Iowa state and Texas. Yes. Texas sucks. Yes. Iowa state's good and better than them, but man, that's, that's Iowa state traveling to Austin at DKR with Texas athletes. I can see how that game unfolded and it doesn't really, it, I'm trying not to, my best not to use the, whatever it's called where one team beats another team. Then another team beats the team that won the first game. So by virtue the third team is the best of the three. Like, I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Um, it, it's, it's been a long season. Keegan, my head hurts. Your head should hurt. It has been a, it has been a long dragged out year of football. It has. Um, no. Yeah. It's, you know, it with Iowa state in the conversation about them and how good they are. I think again, what you know about each team heading into this game is important. Like, 
you talk about Mike Rose and Lincoln Riley brought these guys up by name and they, he should Mike Rose, Greg Eisberg, Daquan Bailey. Um, they have three guys on that defense that are really, really good, really good football players. Um, and then you flip over the offensive side of the ball and it's Oklahoma dealing with Charlie Collard. Xavier Hutchinson had the big catch and run against Jaden Davis. Um, but I, I think again, it's, I will say this. Another thing you can take away, Brady, from that first game defensively wasn't the pressure. It was that in the run game stuff. Alex Grinch did get Oklahoma into very advantageous situations for his play. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, there they were, were tackles there to be made in the backfield that weren't made. And Alex Grinch got them into those situations. So maybe we're overselling what Iowa State's offense could potentially do as long as Oklahoma tackles. Like, there's that caveat to it. Yeah, I I remember having the conversation with you and we would reminisce about the Iowa State game during the season of which would you have rather taken away uh, factor-wise from that Iowa State game? Would it be the poor tackling? Would that simply have helped OU win the game? I think so. Was it the penalties? Would that have helped OU win the game? I think so. If Patrick Fields just catches one of those gimme interceptions uh, deep in Oklahoma territory, and which would have resulted more than likely in an Oklahoma score at the very least, would that have changed the game? I think so. So the likelihood that all those things occur or Iowa state just simply beats Oklahoma fair and square because they march up and down the field. Oklahoma can't stop them. And Oklahoma's offense can't do anything uh, consistently against Iowa state's defense. I think those two factors are kind of, they're very slim, but having said that Oklahoma can still lose this game. I'm just, I'm just having trouble finding out how other than just, miracles and tryhards just having games of their lives that they've never had since or will ever after um, i mean if, if Brees hall beats oklahoma that makes sense if brock purdy makes a few big throws a few big plays with his left feet that's not surprising because that's what ha- that's what they do when they have success anything else i just don't know but i guess we can t- i mean we can always bring up special teams because that was a big swinging factor in that game as well with that big kickoff return yeah like you said it Whenever you start talking about this game and pathways to Oklahoma or winning or Iowa State winning this and that, the you know the way to Iowa State winning is they're going to have to play almost pristine football. Like Brock Purdy can't have turnovers, they can't fumble. They, whenever they have a chance to pick Spencer Rattler off, they need to pick him off. They got they gave Spencer Rattler one away um, in that first game on the tip pass to Jeremiah Hall. And Spitz Rattler almost made him pay for it if Obiolo doesn't drop that touchdown. So yeah. it's uh, it's going to be tough. Um, the line is at five and a half, I believe, on BetMGM um, now. I believe it's almost up five and a half, six, which is, I think, a little low um, in my opinion. But it's – man, and then you start looking at the stats of, like, Oklahoma and with when they're less than a touchdown favorite, they're just exceptionally – well in those games against the spread and money line. So Oklahoma is in a really, really good spot here to win their sixth straight Big 12 championship, which is an absolute absurd conversation. I don't know if you want to talk about that here or you want to talk about that on Thursday or after the game if you don't want to jinx it. But it's just unbelievable. I mean, this is amazing. It's every year. It's po- it's prophetic. It's kind of what I'm writing about for Saturday, um, you know, leading up to the anticipation of them winning is that it's almost prophetic at this point, Brady. Oklahoma either wins out and wins the Big 12 or no, but, like, you know, we were talking about Iowa State and in Oklahoma and this, this matchup and how crazy the Oklahoma's win their sixth straight Big 12 tip. It's just – it's nuts to think that 
they just find themselves in this situation every year and their talent now getting there. And I'm glad we didn't do a ton of national signing day prep Brady from based off some of the uh, recent trends on that side of things. But, uh, but no, I, I, it's, it's crazy to think that like, whenever you think about it, the grant of rights is up in 2025. You've got the big 12 has five years to put a team together besides Oklahoma to beat them. Who is it going to be like, I have no one that's as confident right now. Maybe besides if Chris Kleiman can get the right players in the next two to three years, I can't think of a team that can really attack and beat Oklahoma. Well, they can't. Like, there's really the only school that is that has a foundation that is prepared to do something like that is Texas. And, I mean, that is still a few years away because they need to get the right head coach <laughs> in position after they fire Tom Herman next year because, I mean, it's not going to be any better next year. Uh, but they're just waiting for that buyout money to just go dwindle down just a little bit more before some uh, big changes can come about. But, I mean, schools like Kansas State, even with a good head coach like Kleiman, uh, Iowa State with Matt Campbell, um, even Oklahoma State, or just, you know, your run-of-the-mill like TCU, Baylor, whatever. Schools like that, Keegan, they can put it all together in a year like this. Not a pandemic season, but in terms of Iowa state, they've got all these returning starters. They've got all this experience. They've got all this momentum. They've got, they've had years in the system and then they put it all together this year. But then what happens next year to Iowa state, even with Matt Campbell, like they're going to take a drop off and Oklahoma can have rebuilding years too. Cause that's just kind of the nature of the beast, but they have, they have Oklahoma has drop offs and rebuild rebuilding seasons with a good head coach and a good staff. And, you, you look at an eight and four type season or a nine and three type season, and you can still come away with kind of some, man, they were just a player two way in that game and player two in the way in that game. They could have just randomly been 10 and one, 11 and one, who knows, but they're a rebuilding team. Iowa state, Kansas state, Oklahoma state, when they rebuild, it takes two or three years to get back to where they are currently. Like that's, that's the problem. So I guess, were you trying to hint at should OU do something about leaving the big 12 in 2025 or no, just more from the fact that it's crazy to think that, you know, by the time that this conference is done, like Oklahoma may win 10 straight, 11 straight. Oh, well, I mean, that's, I mean, they got to win on Saturday first. Well, sure. I'm just hypothetically think like, I just can't remember. Like, I, I don't know if there's another time in college football where something like this has happened. To where, like, I just don't like you look ahead to next year. Like, who's beating Oklahoma next year? It really should have happened this year. It really yeah, should have happened. Sure. Like, Oklahoma State should have beaten Texas. And if Oklahoma State beat Texas, is is OSU in the like? I don't want to go back to the old tiebreakers. We're so ahead of that. But was that simply the one game that opened the door? That or was. If, or if Skylar Thompson doesn't get hurt this year. It was, it really was, it, it was Oklahoma state losing to Texas. And we did a little highlight on that um, to start the week yesterday, looking at the 10 games that kind of made Oklahoma, Iowa state, the big 12. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it was, I, I mean, if that, if like you just, if Oklahoma state, they lost it and they losing to TCU, but they, they lose to, it, they don't lose to Texas. You know, we're sitting in a weird situation right now, I think. Yeah. I, th- I think we are. I don't, I'm not a hundred percent on that. But. They don't lose to Texas. They're probably not dealing with opt outs late in the year. They're probably not dealing with uh, lost momentum and just bad feelings overall around the program from Mike Gundy on down to the stat, like to the trainers. 
um, getting their butts handed to them by Oklahoma is going to do that, I guess. But um, <laughs> no, I, I guess in terms of projecting until 2025, which is kind of silly because things can change so much and understanding that Oklahoma could just get straight up beat on Saturday against Iowa state. It really seems like Oklahoma is going to lose a big Twelve championship just by virtue of not making it in some season. Like it, it's hard to see OU losing on, on a big Twelve championship stage straight up. They've I mean, even going back before um, the big 12 in its current format, they've only lost one big Twelve championship and it was to Kansas state. And it's still a game that surprises and shocks thousands of people when they think about it, that Kansas state Oh three game. Uh, so it seems like if OU under Lincoln Riley is going to lose a big 12 title, it's just going to be because of a season like this where they probably shouldn't, shouldn't have got there by losing two games in a row, but credit to them. They kept winning all their games and they got some lucky breaks with some injuries on other teams, key injuries and, uh, key losses. So, um, that that's why it's even harder to project OU to lose this game, even though Keegan, like Iowa state's good. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, and I will say, you know, we've been on this train about for about six weeks now. Heck, I think we were the first people to mention an Oklahoma A&M Cotton Bowl game because we're crazy people. Um, but, like, to this whole conversation, like, we knew that this was probably going to happen after which game? If I said six weeks ago. What game was that that Oklahoma had won? It may have been the Texas Tech game. I think you and I were both just so impressed. Um, but – it, it's it's nuts. It's, like, impre- I, it's it's impressive to me when good teams play bad teams on the road and kick their ass because it's hard. It's hard to get up for bad teams, and especially if you're on the road. And um, it's so easy to kind of walk away from a 45-28 victory and and kind of pat yourself on the back because hey, we won and we scored 45 points. It's like well, you gave up 28, and it was unnecessarily close. So OU's yeah. ability to kick the ass of all these bad opponents that they've had does say something and does credit them as a good team. And that's why I think the Baylor game was so shocking that it was technically competitive, even though I never felt like OU was in danger of losing it, but it was still far too close for what it should have been. But we know that there were really weird reasons that probably played large factors into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, you know, you talk about factors and this and that, I, I, you know, before, before we move on, maybe, move on someone else to talk about but you know just with this game like all it's gonna strain like Iowa State even more so than what Gary Patterson and a really good TCU team can Brady is that they're going to make you be really good at your strengths like they know what you're good at and they're going to do whatever they possibly can to stop that and slow that down and that's what their defense and that's what that program's been built on since Matt Campbell's been there so yeah. Oklahoma's got to be really good at what they do. And they're going to have to be clean. They're going to have to, in order to out-talent an Iowa State team, you have to show up and you have to alley them. You're, they're not, you're not going to be able to walk into a game like this if you're not willing to throw that first punch. Iowa State's willing to do it. Iowa State's going to be willing. Yeah. They're going to be willing to show up to this fight and be able to do it. And I think – that you look at that Baylor game a year ago, and a lot of people forget just how good of a just football game that Big Twelve Championship game was. Um, I know Zeno and the injured health and turnovers and whatever this and that. Um, but it's just it's such a it's a cool spot for Oklahoma to be in Brady. It's a weird spot with how the way things have gone, 
But at the end of the day, it's I don't think either you or I think things are going to change anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, for Oklahoma, and I guess wrapping a bow on the Big 12 championship until Thursday when we talk about it a little bit more in depth, because at that point, we'll know 100% for sure that the game will probably be played. Um, but to me, it's just Oklahoma has to be able to do their simple things with success and consistency. So that means running the football, whether it's with Ramondre Stevenson, who Iowa State is no doubt going to be hyped up and prepared to uh, combat in a similar way that what, what Baylor did, I'm assuming, whether it's with him or TJ Pleasure, they've got to be able to run the football and they should be able to do that because they they actually had success running the football in spots against Iowa State originally, but the problem was they were doing it with Seth McGowan, who just, as we've said, is just he shouldn't be playing football this season, but there are weird reasons that led to him playing probably a little bit sooner than he is physically ready for. Uh, Spencer Rattler had a big run that was knocked off by a, another silly penalty by Tyrese Robinson. Um, they just need to be able to run the football and then whatever passing concepts that are their bread and butter, like the leak concept, which I don't, I don't want to say is bread and butter because that's a, that's a play that they typically score on. So yeah, I hope they run their plays that they score on all the time. Sure. But you know, bubble screens, things that they run with consistency that help them move the chains. They need to be able to do that. They should be able to do that. Uh, but I'm sure we're going to have a little bit more specific thoughts on Thursday, but I did want to talk a little bit more kind of, we, we talked about some national football stuff, uh, college football stuff at the beginning of the show. Uh, we would be remiss Keegan, if we did not mention the fireworks that occurred last night on Monday night football with Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield and the Browns against Baltimore, the Baltimore Oklahoma Sooners featuring Lamar Jackson and a little bit of a cameo by JK Dobbins, former Ohio state Buckeye who I'm shocked is not as good as I thought he was going to be in the NFL, but he's a rookie, you know, give it time. I thought he was incredible at Ohio State, but that was an incredible game. That was a classic, fun Monday night football game. Uh, Baker Mayfield was incredible, except for that one interception. But, you know, that was a big play, of course. But Cleveland's kicker missed an extra point and a field goal. And Cleveland's defense melted down on two consecutive possessions to end the game. And then Marquise Brown redeems himself with bad drops uh, from, from bad drops with a gigantic touchdown uh, catch and run on fourth down to essentially win the game. And then Mark Andrews has all these catches. Ben Powers is starting. Orlando Brown is starting. It, uh, it was awesome. But then I had to keep reminding myself that the, that group of that collection of players, Keegan did not win a national championship because of reasons. Cause we didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings at the time. Because yeah. he's still employed by the university. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I thought it was funny. Drake Stoops' comments today. I don't know if you've seen or heard him about Bob being back around. It I did was, not. It was like, it was like uh, or Drake said, I see the guy like every other week. It's not like it's a huge deal to me that he was back out at practice, but whatever. Um, that's basically what Drake Stoops said, which was awesome. Uh, no, I think, you know, the, the one – you said last night, I think it's important for us to mention on this fine podcast because of who I am as a person and people think that I have a burning passion for someone when I don't. Congrats to Jalen Hurts. The big win. God, he played well. We did it. We did it he, again. So, and this is what I said with Sam and Chisholm yesterday, Brady. Like, credit to the Eagles, right? Because, like, and Jalen Hurts as well. 
how do I say this? The last time we saw Jalen Hurts, like he tried to do too much. He tried to be someone he wasn't against LSU in the Peach Bowl with some of the decisions he was making, some of the throws he was trying to force. Yeah. And that, that was, I think, some of the biggest complaints about Jalen was that he just didn't really know who he was. Um, you know, it was as a, as a quarterback. Oh, and I think Lincoln Riley tried to do his best to be like, hey, Jalen, um, yeah, we're going to run you 30 times because that's our best way to win with you as a quarterback um, instead of you throwing it 30 times. So um, credit to the Eagles, credit to Jalen Hurts, because, like, if you looked at all the passes he threw, Brady, out routes, one read decision. Yeah. I, I mean, it was I, all basic stuff. I was happy Jalen Hurts got a win in his first start. That was awesome. It's awesome for the program. I, I know he's probably remembered more as an Alabama Crimson Tide player than he is an Oklahoma Sooner, but he did play here. He helped OU win a Big 12 championship and then got us to the playoff. So he's a Sooner in my book as well. So it's good for the program. Having said that, I mean, he was 17 to 30 for about 170 yards. And you, you said it like the vast majority of his throws were all very simple out routes. And the thing about Jalen is he's got an arm. And he's accurate when he knows where he's throwing and he doesn't have to read a defense that much. And when he the play does break down, as he showed by rushing for over 100 yards in his first NFL start against the Saints, a, a defense that I believe had not given up a 100-yard rusher in how many games? They said it during the broadcast. It could be wrong. So that means a lot. Jalen Hurts can make plays, but... That whole time, I'm watching it, and I want to be wrong about this. I want Jalen to do well. I, I just watch that going, you know what? When there's more film on him after a game, another game or two, I don't know if this is going to work. I think all that did, mainly for Philly, was understand Carson Wentz ain't it. We need to find somebody else. It could very well be Jalen. that They could already have that guy on the roster. I don't think so because – it seemed like what he was having success doing, once defenses know that it's coming, they'll be able to stop it. And again, I hope I'm wrong. I'm not a Jalen Hurts hater by any means. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, no, and I, I again, I hope I'm wrong too, And I think, but I think you're right. I, no, you don't. <laughs> see, that that's the, like, the only downside to, like, me thinking and being a strong opinionated person as I am. But, like, I want to see the guy succeed I just know how tough, like we both know, and I think he knows this, and I think everybody knows this. It is with his skill set, with his strengths, it is going to be very tough, and his weaknesses, it is going to be very tough to be a successful NFL quarterback. It just is. Like he can't do the things that are, you know, how do I, you look at franchises that have quarterbacks for a long time, right? They have their identity. Like, like Jalen Hurts can't do what Baker Mayfield's doing in Cleveland. Like, and that's the bare minimum. What Kirk Cousins basically did in Minnesota, like, that's the bare minimum as a quarterback. Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. Um, like, but that's not what Jalen Hurts wants to be either. So, credit to him. Um, that I think that he swallowed his pride a little bit and kind of did whatever. So, yeah, I think it's uh, – how do I say this? I, I think Jalen should be fine the rest of this year. Like, they're going to playing Arizona – like they should be able to beat Arizona if they if they play the way they did. Um, I don't even know what Arizona is anymore. I mean, a lot of that's Kyler getting hurt, you know, with yeah, the ankle. He's he, in his shoulder thing too. His right? Shoulder. Uh, he's just not involved in the running game as much. And and I'm, I mean, I know that's a gigantic part of their offense. I'm shocked that that was just an incredible part of their offense because since he's been taken away from 
uh, the running game in terms of play calling and scheming, Arizona's offense is just tanked and, you know, barely beating the, I mean, they beat them like 26 to seven, but uh, you see just, that about Kyler, right? What was it? They score some certain level of points every time he rushes for a hundred yards and he hasn't done it in like four games. Yeah. And they had a three game skid and it got snapped against the giants on Sunday. Um, you know, them losing that dolphins game took a lot out of them. And I'm not saying that as a Miami Dolphins homer over here, but it seemed like the wind got caught, like, taken out of, from under their sails after that loss. Um, or maybe it's just simply that Cliff Kingsbury, this is what he does. No, he did this at Texas Tech. They would start off four and one, you know, respectable three and two. Um, one season they true. were five. This is very true. Yeah, one season they were five and zero. Oh, I think. I think that was 2013. His first, uh, his first season as Texas Tech's head coach. I could be wrong. That game in Norman against Blake Bell, where Trey Miller tore his ACL, unfortunately. I think Tech was either five and zero oh or five and one or something. And there was a lot of hype for that game. It was the first game in Norman against OU and Tech since Tech beat us in 2011 when they snapped our home game winning streak. And this game was also delayed a few hours due to a rainstorm. So you can imagine how paranoid I was in that game. And then Oklahoma beat the hell out of them. And then Texas Tech just faltered from then on. So maybe this is just what Cliff Kingsbury does. Like his scheme, his coaching, whatever, sneaks up on people early on. Once they get accustomed to it um, in the schedule with film, it's easy to kind of predict what they're going to do. And then at the end of the day, Arizona really isn't, they're still a year away from a consistent playoff team. They still need some talent, especially on defense and some skill position guys. What they've been able to do this year has just been completely on the shoulders of Kyler Murray. And maybe that just at this point in his career just had a ceiling under, under it and or on it. And that shouldn't be shocking. It's not a criticism at all. Yeah, no, it's not. He's going to be uh, an elite quarterback in the NFL for a long time. Uh, this is a guy that, Man, if he would have spent two years at Oklahoma, Brady, what could have he have done? Like, I still think about that a lot. Like, what could – if he would have not been as good at baseball as what he is, um, I think it would have created some sort of intrigue. Because when you look back at it, and it's crazy, Brady, when you look back at the draft that he was drafted in, if Arizona wasn't selecting one and hadn't just gotten Cliff Kingsbury as their head coach, he would not probably not have been a top ten pick. Like – those that, that there were those kind of doubts about him. Yeah, it's like, funny, and it's you can say that, but then you can also you know how we like to go back, you know, a few years after a draft has taken place, and then redraft it according to how the careers have gone. Like for instance, Baker's draft, Lamar Jackson's won the MVP, and he got drafted last in the first round over, uh, over guys like Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, who's really elevated his game and surprised me, Baker Mayfield who's played like a worthy no, number one overall pick according to some, but according to a lot, hasn't reached that level. Um, it's weird. You could say that. Yeah. Arizona under Cliff Kingsbury doesn't have the number one over pick. Kyler could have slid, but then he redrafted. And it's like, no, Kyler Murray is by far like the best player. <laughs> like he he's a future NFL MVP. He's a future offensive player of the year. I mean, he's going to be here, like you said, for a long time. Brady. I know we don't have a ton of time left, but before we get into the most simple part of this podcast, I wanted to ask you a quick Thunder question because you are a host of another podcast. Let's do it. Oh, the OKC82 podcast for those that are interested. There you, there you go. There you go. I was trying to plug that in there. Christine or, Butterfield, or, or, Brian Chapman, myself, and sometimes Jerry Ramsey. But go ahead. 
sometimes Jerry Ramsey. Um, no, it's I'm 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 curious, Brady. Like, you know, I go I literally ask you all my Thunder questions. Their win totals at what twenty three or whatever. Yeah. However many it is, like that's for sure to go over again, right? Yeah, I think two or three weeks ago, Ryan Chapman and I did a a training camp preseason podcast obviously before um, this previous Saturday night when we all saw Teo Maladon look like a future NBA MVP, according to uh, the Thunder fan base at large. I mean, he played well. Um, I think we basically predicted, like, yeah, they're going to go over that. Be- and mainly because not so much my belief that I think this team is underrated by any means. I think that there's a lot of young talent, obviously, on this team. And if they keep the vets as long as possible but they're still ultimately going to trade them so basically until the trade deadline they're going to win a handful of games that they're not supposed to and then especially at the end of the year when the playoff teams and title contenders are coasting a team with the young talent like Oklahoma City is going to take advantage of that and win a handful of games at the end of the year so I think it's a fairly easy bet that they're going to win or you can just take the over on that one now they might start off in a hole they might lose a ton of games to start the year off because they're playing guys in and out of lineups they're playing guys that have never played uh nba level basketball in their lives i mean even a guy like alexi pokushevsky which did you watch the game on saturday keegan no alexi pokushevsky and i say this only polarizing best... player in Thunder history. No, I, I wouldn't say that. I would just say <laughs> I'm, I'm only joking. saying this to better describe to those listeners who are interested but didn't get to watch the game. He's seven feet tall. He's seven foot one, so he's tall. He looked like a child amongst grown men on the floor, mainly just because of how skinny he is. He's tall. Yeah, he, he did not look like a child in terms of his play. He played awful in the first half and he kind of came alive in the second and late in the game. Uh, he knew what he was doing. I, I think there's a lot to be excited for with him, but it's just you're going to have to take it very slow with him because his body needs to catch up to it and he can do everything that you want him to do. He can pass. He can, can rebound. He can shoot. He can dribble. He can do a lot of things. And he was already trying to do them. So I think that the foundation for him is very good. Just don't compare him to a guy like Teo Maladon, who's a little bit more of, an, of a, a realized player at this point, and hope that they're going to, to develop at the same rate. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, I'm intrigued by this Maladon guy. I think he's got – it sounds like – I know we've only seen a little bit of him, but he can shoot, which that's – Obviously, something that's weird. He can run the offense really well. I mean, he's a mature, savvy player. And I I don't want to mention Tony Parker because it's cliche. Even at this point, he's only been a member of the team for two weeks. But you hear Tony Parker every five seconds when you talk about Teo Maladon. But it makes sense because Tony Parker, he was a great athlete, but he wasn't a blazing, super fast athlete he wasn't beating guys because he was just simply better than them he was beating guys because he had a higher basketball iq he understood how to move and he was savvy and that's basically the same type of ceiling that teo maladon has he's not going to blow you away with his athleticism but he's so crafty and he's so smart and he's so under control and i'm excited for his play i'm excited what he can do next to sga once uh, those two play a little bit more later in the season but any anything else anything else no, because I know we need to talk about Tom Herman. There's also one other college football thing I want to bring up to you. So unless you have another Thunder question. 
No, I, I don't. That's the only thing, unless you want to get into maybe a little bit of signing day. That was it. Um, I have one thing to say about signing day. Don't follow your friends to college. It never ends well. Moving on to my question, Keegan. I'm very sorry that Kyle Trask lost a football game. Oh, my gosh. I'm very sorry. That was So did you see I, – I quote tweeted that on Sunday. Um, Bill Connolly does the win expectation totals. Did he say that Florida actually won the game according to my numbers? No, it's so it, it's crazy based on like stats for that for now. It's it's obviously based on like an average game outcome, this and that. If per those numbers in that game, Florida had a ninety nine point six percent chance of winning. Yep. On a normal day, based off how that game played out. Yep. That was Bill Connolly's lowest win expectation total. And I think he said like three or four years. Like it's nuts. Florida just so, which then goes into the Florida Alabama game this week. That Alabama's a seventeen point favorite. Man, that has very twenty eighteen Oklahoma vibes to it. Because Florida did play without Kyle Pitts. I mean, the best player in college football. Well, to me, Florida just played like a team that hasn't been there in a while. Yeah, and they're and they play like a team that has gotten there, like they're going to the SEC title game. They knew that going into the LSU game, but they were completely looking ahead to that game. That's what they played like because LSU is not good. They are not a good football team. They are talented because they are LSU and they have, you know, a top five, top six recruiting class every single year by virtue of where they are. Um, They have talent, but they're not a good football team. And Florida just let them hang around and let them make plays and let LSU's quarterback who throws completely over, like, 360 slingshots it over his shoulder. Let him pick them apart. What about the lefty? Yeah, He's the got lefty. a lot of hypo to him. Does he not? Stop. Does he not? Stop this. Hypo had a quick release. Hypo I mean, had the weirdest was, throwing motion. Of it was weird. But you yeah. know what? It worked. It so worked. This guy. this guy, like, catapulted. It worked against Florida. I don't know if it's going to work <laughs> in <laughs> next season. But, um, no, it, I tried to tell you, Keegan, like you kept trying to trumpet Florida as this, you know, if they, they, they can beat Alabama and if that happens, then you're going to have two SEC teams in the playoff. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. And no, yeah, I, I guess, I guess win. you could, I guess you can say that they got their clunker out. They've had now two losses, A&M and LSU. They got their clunker out. So they're going to be better prepared for Alabama, right? Wrong. Alabama is an unstoppable machine. They're the best team in the country. See, I think Alabama can be beaten. I don't think Alabama's as good as what you see. Jace McClellan have a seventy-yard touchdown run against Arkansas. I about quote tweeted that Brady, and I said, "This is for all you lovelies." <sighs> Jay Bullware. So Georgia, or who's playing? So Florida, Alabama this week. The line, I believe, was at seventeen last I checked. It is a seven o'clock kick. The SC championship is by the way. Isn't it usually a three thirty kick? Yeah, two thirty-three. Yeah, um, I'll say Florida this: is currently, a, you can get them as a seventeen and a half point underdog on FanDuel. I would take that. I like I like Florida covering that line this week. I'll say this: if Kyle Trask just tries to pick apart the middle of the field and exploit Alabama's linebackers in coverage, they might have some success. But if he tries to stretch the the field, <laughs> that well, the, he gonna get killed. The Tony guy is pretty good. Their wide receiver that they have, the short um, skill guy on slot, the play slot. Yeah. Um, and then Kyle, like, 
Kyle Pitts is the best player in college football. I know a lot of people, he hasn't played this and that, whatever. But that man is unstoppable. And that was really, like, you get a high on Kyle Trask, that, this and that. But Kyle Pitts was the reason why, like, I was extremely high on Florida. I just don't know how Florida's defense is going to stop Alabama. They're not. They're not. They're Devontae not. Smith it's- is incredible. Um, Najee Harris is incredible. I mean, Mac Jones is playing like Mac Jones should probably win the Heisman. I know Trask is probably going to win it because really, uh, here's the honest thing. Should the Heisman even be awarded this season? No, no one has played yeah. like a Heisman trophy winner this year. No. Devontae Smith, really, that's it. Kyle Pitts and Devontae Smith. That's if you it. Really care about the award? They should just say, you know what? We're just not going to hand it out every single year because this year no one frankly deserves it. And if someone's going to win it, but you're just going to kind of be left with, yeah, because they had the biggest numbers, they didn't lose as many games, and they play for Blue Blood. It's like, there's your 2020 Heisman winner, Mac Jones. Your 2020 Heisman winner, oh, Coastal Carolina quarterback guy. <laughs> no, the, like that's another thing, too. Like You brought up Mac Jones. Like Whenever you get talking to the college football playoff conversation, like, I don't think Mac Jones is as good as everybody's making them out to be either. Like, maybe that conversation can be said for Kyle Trask as well. But I will say something that Stephen Plassant, who works for me, has said. Like, it's hard to trust the actual numbers right now because it's interconference. And, like, I just think, like, don't get me wrong. Like, Arkansas would probably go five and four in the Big 12. They're probably a lot like TCU um, in that regard. I like where Arkansas is going, but, yeah, you're right. Um. But, like, so I'm not, like, 100% sold on the way they were able to drum, you know, Arkansas on Saturday. Because, like, Arkansas did give them a little push at the beginning. So, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, like, this whole idea that Alabama's just going to walk into this playoff and be able to beat anybody and, like, just beat them by two touchdowns. I just don't – I don't think that's valid. Like, I don't – don't get me wrong. Like, I could – Florida winning this – or Florida winning this weekend for me is out the window. Obviously, they're not good enough defensively to get that done. Um but can Florida put up 35 on Bama this weekend? It wouldn't shock me. That like, would shock me. That would that would absolutely that, shock me. Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett put up yards on Bama in the first three quarters they played, and he's not any good. Yeah, but Alabama is going to be prepared for Kyle Trask. They're going to welcome that challenge and elevate their sure. play. And when you're talking about players at Alabama's level elevating their play, it's just like, mm. I mean, if they – Florida is going to score around 17, 21 points like that. That's kind of their ceiling in this game. But I mean, going back to, what I said, to 21 between. So I've got over 30. I think Florida will clear 30. You'll have them. You have them under 21 or 21 and under. Take sure. A little side, take a little yeah. side down here. Yeah. And I can't wait for them to kick a meaningless field goal down <laughs> 30 points in the fourth so quarter. If it's 20, if they score 24 Brady and they kick a field goal to do it, I'll I'll even I'll I'll watch this bet. I don't even know what this bet's gonna be. See, I've always felt like there should be this rule with with betting lines of is the game over? Is the competitive <laughs> part of the game over? And did this other team just march down the field against an uninspired victor and kick a meaningless BS field goal that now makes everything go haywire? I mean, even the safety last night against uh That's what uh, I was gonna bring up. The Baltimore Cleveland the game. That is the worst bad beat in the history of bad beats. Last yeah, night. Dylan Buckingham was talking about on the radio this morning that he was playing somebody in his uh, playoff game that had Baltimore's defense, 
Mark Andrews and uh, Kareem Hunt. And yeah, they scored a lot of points last night. So yeah, no shit. Golly. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Um, Go ahead. I, I guess last thing, Keegan, before we get out of here for our Thursday pod at Vanessa House, Tom Herman. He's back. Oh, he never left, which is the beautiful thing. I I get it. We we talked about this in the off season. And this was this was supposed to be Texas season where they had everything lined up for him. They've had enough time under Herman. He's got his guys in the system. Got Sam Ellinger coming back for the 13th year as a starter. Um, you've got Oklahoma that's playing a bunch of new guys at key positions, a brand new quarterback. Um, Texas is a very uh, experienced team on both sides of the football. And in a year where everything's weird and you don't have an offseason – a school like Texas should be able to have as much uh, as much or if not more success than younger teams like Oklahoma, just because, you know, they know what to do uh, in a given situation. But um, we talked about in the off season, even if they have a disappointing year, which is very much on the table, it's going to be hard to fire Herman in a pandemic year with that amount of a buyout. And then especially if you can't get urban Meyer, like if, if urban Meyer straight up told them, sure, I'll take it, which, I thought was even silly in the first place, just from the standpoint of urban Meyer, Tom Herman worked for urban Meyer. I don't think urban Meyer would just say, I'll take the job when it's technically not open and then have a colleague of his who worked under him that won a national title with him get fired as a result. So I always thought that that was kind of silly, but if they could get urban Meyer, sure. They would bite the bullet, fire Herman, give him all the money or pay him all the money and then go get urban. But you, you don't get this buyout for Luke fickle. You don't get this buyout for even a Matt Campbell. If he expressed interest for the Texas job, which would be stupid. Brady. It's so perfect. Like you can't not, if you cover college football and even if you're a Texas media member at this point, how can you not love what's happening in Austin? One, if you cover Texas this is the perfect jackpot for content. Yeah, you can just write hate pieces, like just slam piece, slam piece all over the place. And then two, if you cover college football, this is delicious. I mean, Texas isn't – and I've said this, and I truly said this. This goes on the longer lines of me talking about Oklahoma winning the Big 12 until this conference may be done, right? Like, Texas, when you ever look at what's happened, Texas, they are not going to land a good recruiting class or an elite one in 2021. They're going to land a good one. So then you go to 2022, right? Well, 2022, the top quarterback, your prime, your guy who's going to lead you back, bring you back, Quinn Ewers. He's gone to Ohio State. Number one wide receiver in Texas, gone to Ohio State. What are they going to do for the next two to three years in terms of development? Like, and then you're going to bring in a new coach. And if he doesn't do well in 2023, it's nothing guaranteed yet for that recruiting class just because you are Texas anymore. Yeah, this, their best hope is, and I think Colt McCoy was a four-star recruit or a three-star recruit coming out of high school, but basically he was a recruit that wasn't extremely highly heralded. He was he was essentially their Sam Bradford. You want to get Colt McCoy, he, he's got does some nice things. You want to get Sam Bradford, he does some nice things. He's a local kid, but no one expected Heisman Trophy winner when Sam Bradford walked on onto campus. No one expected Colt McCoy to play at the level that he did. So they're essentially hoping that some unheralded guy comes in and just is magic. If that happens, then that changes a lot of stuff, but you can't project that 
you can't, if you do, then you're a, a homer and you're silly and everybody laughs at you. You can't project that. And that's why, unless Samuel Inger comes back next season, which he technically can, <laughs> and it really wouldn't shock anybody if he decided to come back. But it seems like that he, based off everything that he's kind of said and done, that this is it for him. Um, un, unless he comes back, what are they going to have to work with? Unless they just say, Bijan Robinson, you're going to wildcat every single play. You're our best player. Please help us win games. They, like, and I'm even just now looking kind of what Oklahoma's doing on the recruiting side of things. Like, Oklahoma's about to land the number one quarterback, number two wide receiver, number one running back, number one offensive tackle. And Texas isn't even going to land a top 15 class. Like, that's the difference right now. No, like, that's and the disparity. It's crazy. OU, you know, they, they had their run of, fifth, like, number 12 recruiting class in the country, number 17 recruiting class in the country in the um, early 2010s. And you can still find a lot of talent. I mean, there are, we can rattle off five, six names from those teams right now, Keegan, that are very fondly remembered at Oklahoma. But the problem is just always going to be like, yeah, you, you might have some guys sprinkled all over the place, but you don't, you're not going to have the depth. You're not going to have the, you're not going to have the line, the defensive line where games are really won. That's where Texas is going to struggle. And even then, like they've had guys sprinkled all over the place the last few years, Devin Duvernay. Yeah, uh, Devin Duvernay, Lil Jordan Humphrey, um, Bijan Robinson. I think highly of. We both think highly of. Sam Ellinger is a good enough quarterback to win you a conference championship. They just haven't been able to do it. So Tom Herman's just going to get his ass kicked. I mean, do you remember the top of your head what their schedule is next year, non-conference? Assuming yeah, that go, we have a normal season. Yeah, they go Louisiana, or then they I believe they go on the road to Arkansas, and then they have a no man, no name. Those are two not gimmies. I don't know what Louisiana is returning. They might be kind of what I said earlier, where they have a team chock full of seniors and juniors. I and then think next they were that this year, Brady. Yeah, I'm, don't, I'm looking it up right now. And if um, that's the case, then Texas should go down there and, or wherever they're playing them and win. But Arkansas, year two under Sam Pittman with some momentum, and they bring a bunch of guys back on defense. Yeah, they. Who is that safety of theirs? Jalen Catalan. He is so good. You remember him? Yes, I do. He wasn't he wasn't big enough to play at Oklahoma, Brady. Uh, you're gonna win some and you're gonna lose some. So Louisiana had a senior quarterback. They should return every offensive lineman besides their left tackle. They had two freshman wide receivers starting. They had a senior running two senior running backs. But then defensively, they lose one, two, three, four seniors. So Louisiana could, you know, that should still be a competitive game. Billy Napier probably won't be the head coach there much longer, though. So that's also something to add to that. But, yeah, Texas is in a situation where 2021 could be dire. I mean, if Herman doesn't put together and they lose early in the season, they get beat by Oklahoma, not good. Yeah, and that, that, that's a year where they just randomly beat OU. That's kind of been the fourth, the, like just the MO of this series, especially when it concerns Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I agree. No. Um, anything else, Keegan, before we get out of here on this snowy ass Tuesday? No, I, I think the most important thing um, hit on here, I will be going through, there should be five little film 
Patreon posts out this week, so which will be good. Get that back and going. And then leading up to a bowl game. So don't miss out on that. It should uh, should be some interesting times. Got some uh, free time after kind of having some things with work. So we well, should be awesome. good. Awesome, awesome. And uh, weather permitting, we will be at yeah, NS House on Thursday. How are Thursday. you enjoying the snow? We didn't talk about this. How am I enjoying this? I don't like snow. I don't like cold weather. Yeah, it looks so – the freaking flakes were massive. I will say – Snow like this in Oklahoma is rare because usually we just get an ice storm. It's too yeah. humid here, so we don't really ever get snow. Like I, I thought I had to turn my car on to get ice off the windshield, so I turned it on, and then I just kind of scraped my hand across the windshield. I was like, oh, this is just snow. We This never happens here. So um, it's pretty, I'll say that, but I just I genuinely don't like being cold. I've grown up in deserts my whole life. I'm sorry for you. This is awesome. This is great. Is this baseball weather? Oh no, they they would they they would <laughs> they would call the game. I'm sorry. <laughs> just can't you just can't play this sport if it's raining. Yeah, nah, Brady, come on. JK. JK. Now everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. We'll be back on Thursday from Vanessa House live around 5:30 or 6. Uh, so shout out to those guys taking care of us and giving us some good drinks during the podcast. And if anybody wants to come out, cool, but just please wear a mask uh, as always and take proper precautions also as always. And is there anything else? No, we just have Colin Cowherd making an absolutely ridiculous claim, but that's it. What did he what, what did he say? The interception was the reason why they lost. Trying to create this perfect offense to ensure Baker Mayfield works. And Colin Calvert says, stop the babysitting Baker. To quote Lincoln Riley, if you're not running a quarterback-friendly offense, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Is Cleveland supposed to say, no, you know what? I got an idea. Let's run, let's run the 05 Texas offense with Vince Young with Baker Mayfield. Because that because we need to make it hard for him. Yeah. Make run it as difficult as possible. Actually, the Browns are not, they're nine and four. The <laughs> Browns are nine and four. The Browns have never been good. Is Baker Mayfield incredible? No. Is he the reason why they've lost all four of their games? No. He look, I, I don't listen. I think I have Colin Cowherd muted on Twitter along with LeBron James and some other people that we, we may mutually know. Um, he, he's just doing it to get, you know, talk like to get clicks essentially to get people to talk about it on podcasts. So, um, cool. I don't care about his opinion. Yep. 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 Fair enough. Everybody. Thank you for listening inside. Oh, you uh, enjoy your snow day. Everybody be safe. We love you. We'll talk to you later.